lucky I have shoes on, <laughs> let alone a microphone. Um, we might have to do that um, to get contextualized for me. Uh, no, anyway, um, Chris was getting ready to start a series on the Gospel of Mark. And it was after we had just finished our first term. And it was a pretty low season for Lynn and I. Actually, we had finished language school. We had planted our first church. Um, we had been kicked out of that church <laughs> um, and asked not to come back, actually. And it was a very difficult season. And we were evaluating what is God asking of us? Who does he want us to be? Um, because what we went there to do is not what we believe God is asking of us, but, and it's not worth the rest of our life. That was the big question. If we're to go back to Mozambique, what would be worth the rest of our life? And that was the beginning of a journey. And it was that um, dialogue that Chris and I had many years ago that led Lynn and I for two years to study the Gospel of Mark and ask the question, who is Jesus? How did he draw people to himself? Um, how did, what is discipleship? What is it really truly about? And it changed the course of the next 15 years. So the impact of this community has been huge, on not just on our life personally, but on the lives of hundreds and hundreds of Africans in now, in particularly in northern Mozambique. So I just wanted to say thank you uh, um, to you guys for your impact in uh, the world and in our life. Um, as I was watching this video, and I've watched it several times, there are four things that struck me. One of them I had not seen until Lynn mentioned it to me yesterday. And is the minute Jesus spoke, Andrew immediately went to work. That struck me. Um, Simon is not yet a follower of Jesus. He's in a boat. He's in relationship with Andrew. But Andrew immediately obeys and, and, and gets to work and, and following the Lord's um, words. The next one is the nonverbal communication between Jesus and Simon. No words are said. But the authority of Jesus is evident. We all know who is in charge of this encounter. And it was clearly Jesus. That is very, very important um, to the unbelieving, nonverbal uh, Simon, who obviously begins to obey. The other part is after they, the, the, the guys are all running and there's this real-life encounter and things are happening, and the fish are in the boat, and they're celebrating, and Andrew says to Simon, I told you. Which tells me that the discipleship of Simon Peter began long before the encounter with Jesus. There's this relationship and this telling of, I have a story to tell you. Very important. The most striking point of this video was that Simon encounters Jesus in childlike faith, says, whatever you ask, I will do. Jesus says what? Follow me. The point of today's lesson, what I want to spend the rest of the time talking about is the consequences of that decision. Simon had no idea what he was signing up for. Other than, I believe, and I will follow you. 
Um, in the time that I have today, I, I don't know where this is going. I've never done this before. Um, it's right on the edge of my emotions today, so who knows what's about to happen. So just bear with me. But I want to start the lesson in um, Mark uh, chapter, what chapter are we in here? Um, we're going to be all over the place, so you're going to have to move fast. Chapter 14, Jesus has been arrested. We're, we're going to start this after he's spent all these years with the disciples. And Jesus is, is about to be arrested. And uh, in verse 44, it says, Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew a sword and struck the servant, the high priest, cutting off his ear. And I am leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have to come out with swords and clubs and capture me. Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And this is the verse I want you to hear. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Um. For 20 years, Lynn and I have served with and alongside missionaries, NGOs, international people, churches, and we've devoted our life to disciple making, inviting people to follow him. And uh, there's a cost to that and a cost to that life. And four months ago, I quit. I remember the day I quit, and I remember all the reasons why I quit. (laughs) And there's a long list of those reasons. And I remember sitting there and I said, I don't reject Jesus, I don't reject my calling, I don't reject the mission of God, but I don't care anymore. And the reason I share this with you is because it's important to understand what I believe these passages we're going to look at truly mean. Truly mean because as I look at our life and I look at who Lynn and I have been and who we are becoming and what we believe our calling truly is, is this, and it's what I call living within the last two feet. And what does that even mean? (laughs) It's a metaphor, but it's, it's describing what we as followers of Jesus do naturally. And it's not because anybody is doing anything wrong. But I'll use the missionary community as our example, and then we might be able to draw some parallels with those at this table or in your family or across the cubicle, in the, uh, your office or whatever organization you work with in life. Because we're all called from Matthew 28, it's very clear that we are all called to what? Make disciples of Jesus Christ. 
But when I talk about the last two feet, I'm saying that for Lynn and I, we years ago said, yes to Jesus, I will follow you. In those days, in our denominations, in our association of churches, there was a thing where we surrendered our lives to the Lord. It's not salvation. It was a moment when we as young people made a decision. I will go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or land or sea. I'll do what you want me to do. Just say it and I'll go. And we would surrender. We, we mature, we prepare, we, we um, raise the money, we get the churches to endorse us, we sign up with a mission organization, we say goodbye to our families and we take our babies and we put them on a plane, go across the ocean to a land of which we cannot speak their Hungarian language. <laughs> we take with us experience, we bring with us calling, we passion, support, money, a legacy of the gospel that we have been called by God to, to the nations to invite people to follow him. It's not easy to lose your language and your family and your culture and your history and your identity all within 24 hours. <laughs> Literally, one airport to another world. You begin to learn language and you can buy that bread and you start to begin building relationships and um, you start becoming more comfortable and you're leaning into God's calling. But this is what I have learned and I've seen it in myself and I've seen it in time and time again where we get close, but we don't go the distance. The farthest distance you will travel in the life of a disciple maker is what I call the last two feet. And it's within the last two feet that keeps us on the outside. That the language, it could be the language. It could be a misunderstanding of culture that's scary or afraid. Or it could be, in our case, smells and different foods and all the cultural things that are so foreign. But it can also be an ideology or people who think differently, or crazy Aunt Sally at Thanksgiving, where she's at the table, but you keep your distance. Because within the last two feet is where the transformation can happen. Mine, and yours, and theirs, as we enter into life together. And um, we're going to look at some passages today about how Jesus entered in the last two feet and the cost not only for Jesus obviously but for those who chose to enter in with him Jesus knew the hard work of making disciples would not be found on the hillside it wouldn't be found in the synagogue and in the feeding or in the healing or in the casting out of demons. The power of the last two feet is not in the going, nor is it in the sending, or even in the arriving. I had one missionary say, I have sacrificed all I have to sacrifice just by being here. I have nothing left to sacrifice. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to follow him. Which means 
Where he goes, I will go. Where he sits, I will sit. Where he eats, eats, eat, I will eat. Where he prays, I will pray. The disciples, how well did they do with that? Not so great. Where he is humiliated, I will be humiliated. My brother talked about that. To be a true follower of Jesus is to be humiliated with him. To be a true follower of Jesus is to the cross. There is no resurrection without death. So today is a call to death. It's a call beyond the Bible study. It's a call beyond the platitudes of things that we hold dear and true. It's not taking away from anything. It's a call to more. So that, like Simon and the others, would one day be willing to die for him when in the beginning they abandoned him. Jesus walked with these crazy, self-serving, clueless followers of Jesus for three years And in the most important, pivotal time of the story of Jesus, they abandoned him. The first passage I want to look at is when we talk about the cost of entering in to the last two feet of disciple making. Relationally with people, human beings, we're pointing to Jesus... There's a cost, and part of that cost is an encounter, first and foremost. The reason I shared briefly about my own struggle over the last four months, four months ago, I could not leave the apartment without social anxiety. I had nothing left to offer anyone, and I never believed that I would be able to stand here today and speak without needing to throw up. The cost of saying yes to Jesus had taken its toll. And it is, Chris is very right. I needed to rest. I needed to uh, find my message. Because I told my wife on January 26th, I was about to get on a plane, and I had my first panic attack that was debilitating at 58 years of age. And I said, I have nothing to say. I'm empty. I'm broken, I'm defeated, I'm discouraged. I just don't care anymore. I share that because unless I'm willing to share that with the people that I believe need to know Jesus, they will not know Jesus because Jesus needs to know that he suffered as we suffered. That we are weak and that we are broken. That the message is only Jesus, even when our faith is depleted and we have nothing to say. It will cost us to follow Jesus. It will cost us if we are truly going to make disciples. In Genesis 32, I'm really going to have to move through these quickly. But we find the, the, first thing, the, the first story of the cost to follow Jesus is an encounter with Jacob. This is a long story. We could spend weeks on, on the lineage 
of Jacob. But there's a moment when Jacob is so, the deceiver is so afraid and he's hiding behind his wife. But God has something for him. And there's an encounter with Jacob that not only causes him pain, but through that pain there is intimacy with God and there's a wrestling with, I believe, Jesus himself. This is a, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament before the virgin birth when Jesus appeared to a man for a specific reason and there was pain and there was wrestling and there was transformation and then there was a setting forward. We cannot be disciple makers if we ourselves are not, what? Disciples. If we do not enter into the intimacy and honesty and transparency of who we are and our need, like in the video with Simon who says, I am an evil man, depart from me, I'm not worthy. But this is the other part practically that I believe about disciple making that all of us must embrace. The only task as a disciple maker is to see in others what they cannot see in themselves and walk with them until they do. And that is typically found in the reality and the messiness and the dirtiness and the exposure of our own character in front of other people. So we can figure this out together. There was an encounter that changed Jacob's name, changed his character, and set him on a new direction. The best part of this whole story for me was when, after this encounter with with God and the wrestling and the changing and the renaming, that instead of hiding behind his wife like a coward, the next part of the text says, he was out in front going to meet his brother Esau that had vowed to destroy him. There was a transformation that happened. John chapter 4. We find um, Jesus. Oops, I missed it. There we go. Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman. And the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judah and and went back one more time to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I think there's lots of ways that we could apply this. 
to who is the Samaritan woman in our life? In American culture, let alone in the African culture. You know, years ago, the Lord confronted me as I was teaching to a group of young uh, Muslim men about Ishmael and Hagar. And he confronted me very clearly when he said, you do not love these people. You don't have to like their culture. You don't have to appreciate so much about the things that are disgusting and unholy. But you have to love them and be willing to live with them and engage them and accept them and let them enter into your life. To follow Jesus and to make disciples, you must be willing within this intimate space of the last two feet to be confronted with your own biases, with your own um, culture that's different than other cultures and lifestyles and people who disagree with you politically, socially. It could be that crazy Aunt Sue who just is making life crazy for you. You have to deal with your own racial biases. Because when we get close, like many missionaries, and I think many of us, that is where judgments are made. We're observers instead of participants. You're only within the last two feet are we engaging and participating in the disciple-making process. When we get close, but we're not risking the exposure of our own biases and our own character, we begin to make observations. And within those observations, we make judgments. There is no disciple-making on the sidelines. Period. Disciple-making is within sight. And it causes us to make decisions that change our lives. We have to deal with our own fear and our own reputation, as Jesus did, sitting with the Samaritan woman or with the sinners. And ultimately, those on the periphery, the religious leaders of the day, making judgments, and out of their own fear... They tried to kill him. To be a true follower of Jesus is to live within and be confronted by and be willing to embrace people and ideals and not be afraid with things that are different. That's one of the most beautiful, painful experiences of the last 15 years of Lynn and I's life, living intimately with Africans and trying to work this out and figure this out. How can we not just be a participant, because many missionaries are observers. They're writing letters, they're telling stories about other people, but never expose themselves to those people out of fear and reputation. And I question, can we truly make disciples just as an observer? I believe if we're following the example of the discipler, we cannot. Mark chapter 9. Another exposure of the last two feet. Oops, I'm not there yet. Yeah, Mark chapter 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, 
what were you arguing about on the road? I love this because Jesus knew his disciples. And he knew them why or how. Because he lives with them. He's walking with them. He's engaging with them. He's not, you know, getting a, a, a book report or a, a report card about how they're doing in school. He is writing the report card. He is their teacher. He's their rabbi. He knows them. And he's, so he's, I can imagine them walking along, and he's hearing what's going on, and he's, he's doing what he does. And he says, what were you guys talking about? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve, as was his custom. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. To follow Jesus and to make disciples and to live within the last two feet, your pride and your character will be exposed. That was one of the things that we learned through that study in the Gospel of Mark when we were asking the questions, where and how did Jesus draw people? Where did the discipleship happen? How was he engaged in transforming the lives? And time after time after time, just like we read, Jesus said, in the house of where the disciples questioned him, or he questioned, it was on the way in real life experiences. And those particular passages transformed our calling. Because for right or for wrong, at church or in Bible studies or in conferences or in wherever religion happens, we dress up, we're not exposed. Discipleship happens when both parties living within the intimate space of the last two feet are exposed. When we started living that way in Mozambique, when we invited those 11 young guys with the egg farm years ago, little did I know that they were going to see Lynn and I have an argument. Little did I know that at the workplace, when they ticked me off for the umpteenth time, that I was going to lose my temper, temper and call one of them an idiot and have to make it right. I was exposed. They saw the very best of Lynn and the very worst <laughs> of me. <laughs> Ooh, that was close. <laughs> Our pride in our character must be, I'm not saying will be, must be exposed if we truly are going to call ourselves disciple makers. If not, we're observers. Uh, Mark 14. Mark 14. While Peter, uh, verse 66, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. Uh, When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were with the Nazarene Jesus. And she said, talking, um, what were you talking about? He said, we went to the, um, we went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. 
After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He, he began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know this man you are talking about. This is the same man who knelt before Jesus and said, Whatever you ask, I will do. Being a follower of Jesus, making disciples, will reveal weakness, fear, and arrogance. There's a reason this story is in the Bible. It will cost you much. And it will reveal your own weakness and your fear. And yet the redemptive nature of God to restore. Because if you know the Bible at all, you know that Peter is the rock in which the church of Jesus Christ is found. That brings great hope. But it also is a, a picture of who we are in this life. And how can we make disciples of others if they do not know who we are and where we have been? You know, years, years ago, like it's happening right now, um, Andrew said to Peter, <laughs> um, I told you, remember, I told you in the video. It's not in the Bible, by the way. I'm making that clear, Chris. <laughs> um, but secondly, Peter had a story to tell to others. Let me tell you a story when I denied our Savior. And let me tell you what he did for me. First-hand account. It will cost you much. One of the other important passages in the the cost of discipleship um, is in Mark chapter 3. And actually one that's very dear to my heart. I hope I can make it through. Um, Mark 3, 7. I'm not there yet. Yeah, here we go. Jesus, uh, in verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they had heard all that he was doing, many people came down from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. I'm going to skip down. In verse uh, 20, then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. He's he's crazy. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebub, by Satan himself, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons what did jesus say so jesus called them and spoke to them in parables how can satan drive out satan oh i've lost my place here
Oh, here we go. In verse 31. This is the point I want to get to. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus said, Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, his disciples, and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. To be a, a follower of Jesus, it will cost you much. It will cost you um, your family. It will cost you uh, a, a problem for you professionally, maybe. There will be accusations about your mental capacity or your uh, ethics. Lynn and I have been told for many, many years by many, many people that we are unethical to do what we do. Guaranteed people have said to me, you have lost your mind. My wife and my children, my parents and Lynn's parents and our families have paid the price in their body and in their soul and in their emotions that are irreversible. Because Lynn and I said yes. Others have paid a great price. We've always said it's cost our family much more for us to go than it did for us. I do remember when I put both of my boys in boarding school years ago. There are two places on that campus I hate to go because it is a, a stark reminder of the pain of having to get on that bus and leave my children in another country for high school. And the consequences of the right decision, of God's calling, and the most amazing experience of their life if they were here, they have Africa and Kenya and Mozambique tattooed literally on their bodies. It's not about, was it bad? But there are consequences that they are paying as adults. Emotionally because of that decision. It's cost our parents. It's cost us all kinds of of trauma in our life that we cannot resolve because we said yes without knowing the consequences of what that meant. Because Jesus says, who are my mother and my father? I'm my mother and my brothers. Those who do what? The will of the Father. That cost is different for every person in this room, but that cost is a requirement for every person in this room. When you choose to enter in and make decisions to make disciples of people who look differently than you, who think differently than you, who don't have the opportunities that even your own children have and that you provide for them, there is a cost and it's irreversible. But that is our calling. And this is why we are all called to the last two feet 
but few, few enter in. And it's not about going overseas. Let me make that very clear. This is not a missionary calling you to Africa. This is a missionary calling the church of Jesus Christ to across the table, to across the city, to the next town over, to make disciples of all nations in this city, and yes, around the world. But it will cost you, if you so choose to follow Jesus, if we choose to follow Jesus, it will cost you and it will cost others irrefutable <laughs> damage. Who wants to sign up? Just remember in the end, they stripped Jesus naked. They humiliated him. He loved his mom. He said to John, take care of your mother." I always tease about that, about that moment in Scripture where John was probably saying to himself, there he goes again, Jesus, getting the last word, having to be the big guy on campus and leaving me with the work to take care of mom. <laughs> he loved his, his family. It wasn't about rejecting family. It was about doing the will of the Father, whatever that means. And all I'm saying, there's irreversible cost to yourself and to others. Time is over. I could talk about Abraham and Isaac. I could talk about the rich young ruler who got so close. He was on the outside. He longed to know Jesus. But Jesus saw in him what he didn't see in himself. And he said, you lack only one thing. Everything you've got. And he went away sad we could talk about the good Samaritan and all those who passed by we could talk about Mary and Martha and the conflict and the comparison and the infighting about who is doing better or what people on the outside making judgments instead of participating and in Matthew Jesus says, take up your cross. And to be a follower of Jesus and to make disciples will cost you your life. We follow him to the death. There is no resurrection if there's no death. And each of us have to wrestle with what does that dying mean? There's an everyday dying to self. There's an everyday dying to, um, uh, for sacrifice and for things. But it's not enough. Arriving is not in the giving. Arriving is not in the praying for alone. We, praying is important. It's essential. It's not about diminishing. It's about arriving and choosing to live within this uh, metaphorical Intimacy of exposure. Because Jesus lived that way. He demanded it of his disciples. He called them out. He knew them. He walked with them. He slept with them. He fed them. He, he preached to the multitudes. But he called those that he knew the closest. That knew him the best to make disciples. And they were not yet fully convinced. 
as we learn in scriptures until sometime later. But the power of this intimacy of those three years was that all of these apostles, with the exception of a few, all were willing to die for him. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to die the same way Jesus did. James, um, King Herod had killed him by the sword in Jerusalem. John suffered greatly because of Jesus throughout his long life. Andrew brought the good news to what is now Russia and the western regions of the Soviet Union. He later traveled throughout modern-day Turkey and Greece, and he was martyred there. Philip ministered in North Africa and then Asia Minor. Tradition says that Roman officials were so enraged that his wife had converted to Christianity that he was brutally put to death. Nathaniel, some say that he went to India and, and Thomas uh, to um, Armenia before heading along Ethiopia and other Arabian regions, and he was martyred. Matthew traveled to Iran and then to Ethiopia, and some say he was stabbed in Africa. Thomas, his faith in Jesus was strong enough to send him to Syria and Iraq, and he preached the gospel there, and he was killed by soldiers. James, it is believed that he preached in the regions of Israel. One account says that he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Peter, Simon, the majority, we don't know for sure, but many believe that um, he was cut in half for the cause of Christ. Little is known about Philip, but tradition says that he preached in Asia and, and Turkey and he was martyred for his faith. Thaddeus, um, he traveled all over Syria and Iraq. These guys liked that part of the world as they were preaching the gospel, but he was killed in the mountains of Turkey. Matthias as well was martyred. Paul was martyred as we know. All of these people who walked with Jesus, who lived so intimately with him, made disciples in the same way for years until they too were willing to die. So the question is, are we going to be observers or are we going to be participants? Are we willing to count the cost? And when we said to Jesus years ago, many of you, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I'm so grateful that I did not know all that that meant. Because I do not trust, I do not trust that I would say yes today. Where I sit today, I'm still questioning. I'm coming into the last two feet with you. Is it worth it? Is it worth the price for my children? Is it worth the price for my wife and my family? And it, Has it been worth it? I don't know, but it's not for me to know. It's for me to be like Andrew and obey and to trust and to have that same childlike belief that Simon Peter said that says, I am unworthy and I will go and I will do and I will follow you and I will screw up and I will say dumb things and I will get angry and I will hurt people, 
and I will lose my whole team in Africa and everyone will walk away and I will feel abandoned and my business is destroyed because of a stupid doggone cyclone and I don't know what the answers are. I don't know. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. And there's nothing more. There's nothing more. And there's nothing less. And with that, there's great hope. Because if I don't have hope in Jesus, I have no message. When I begin to look at myself and my exhaustion and my own disappointment and my own sin and the, the people who have hurt and dis- disappointed and slandered me, and there's been a lot of that over the years, I come to, I don't care anymore. And I have nothing more to say. But because my calling is to follow Jesus to the death, I must die so that others may live. And with that, I will pray. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that you died on the cross, that you've given us hope and a message and a purpose and the heart's desire to follow you and to make disciples of the nations. Help us to go the distance, not to stand and get close and to feel comfortable in the message and the calling, but not living that with people in intimate ways each and every day where we are exposed so that they might know the redemptive power of your word in my life, that they too can be redeemed. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we need to go. Was this good? Sorry. All right. And let me end with this. I just want to read this, because I, I, Roger needs to hear this, and you need to communicate this to your wife. Peter, no less, began to say to him, Behold, We have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions, Mm -hmm. and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Brother, I can't tell you it's worth it, but he tells you. (laughs) It's worth it. That's all I got. And our prayers matter. When we pray today for the Fernandez, that matters, okay? And I remember that conversation with Mark, now that you mention it. Mm -hmm. It's that two feet, just doing that because you love Jesus, and then later you find, oh, well, I guess that was a, well, okay. It was transforming. And he gets the glory because you didn't even know you were doing it because you're just ministering within the two feet. Let's go do that this week. Amen. Amen. Amen.